You're listening to the Morphology Podcast. Thanks for tuning in to the Morphology Podcast. Hey, if you haven't yet, please subscribe to this podcast and give it a thumbs up if it's deserving. It helps me out a lot. Anyway, AKA Murph here to share interviews about biking experiences from cyclists who have pedaled to places all over. Each week, we will get to know new people and explore new destinations to ride your bike. As you listen to these adventures, you may wonder, why haven't I done that yet? Today, meet Chris Van Ruckel, a retired veteran who is on to talk about off-season training. So when Ragbright offered a virtual event in 2020, Chris saw this as an opportunity to rediscover his love of cycling. He completed virtual Ragbri and enjoyed those miles so much he just kept on pedaling. What started as a mission to burn 1,000 calories of activity a day turned into something that offered Chris both mental and physical benefits that have paid off in many ways. Chris is shooting for 5,000 miles on his bike this year, and by the sounds of it, he's well on his way to his goal. Here's my interview with Chris. All right, well, on the show today, we have Chris Van Ruckel. Hey, Chris, how's it going? Pretty good, Murph. How are you today? Good, good. Um, you're on the show today to talk a little bit about off-season training, and it's probably an interesting subject because we're recording this in the early part of 2021, and a lot of people experienced such a crazy year in 2020 that maybe even if they were training, the events they were training for were canceled. So it really changes the dynamic of you know, getting up at five o'clock in the morning to do a training ride when you're really not training for anything. So I'm excited to have you on the show to talk about it. Well, thank you again for uh, having me back. Uh, I don't know why we took so long to get around to this, but yeah. uh, it's it's good to be back and it's good to be talking to you guys again. And uh, I think it's absolutely true that 2020 was a phenomenally crazy year for everyone. Mm hmm and trying to harness and figure out what you were going to do with the time that was thrust upon us was definitely a challenge for everyone. Yeah, definitely. Well, I, so I want to get into a little bit more about off-season training and what you're doing or maybe what you can recommend people do. But first, mm -hmm. will you tell the listeners where you are and what cycling is like there? So I live um, western Iowa, Carroll County. Mm, okay. Carroll County. Car Carroll County has a bit of a mix. So in the southern part of the state, it's hillier. In the northern part of the state, it gets flatter. Uh, we're kind of at the end of the glacial plain. So you got a little bit of the flat and you got a little bit of the hills. It's a nice mix. Mm -hmm. uh, Sock rail is, is what I primarily ride on for a day-to-day -day good time ride when the weather's right. Um, but I also do a little bit of gravel around the area and a little bit of highway, which I really don't like to do that much. Mm -hmm. But I, I do do that when I need to connect to different areas that I want to go. What's the terrain mm -hmm. like for the SOC? SOC is a rails to trail program. Mm -hmm. So it's, you know, that typical no more than 3% grade. Uh, the only part of that that's different is when you get into Swan Lake. Uh, so if you go all the way down uh, to the very, very end, there's a loop at Swan Lake and you can do the loop at Lakeview around mm -hmm. Blackhawk Lake. Uh, both of those have a little more topography to them. The trail itself is relatively flat, but you have the hill coming out of Swan Lake, uh, which can really kick your butt. And then you have Rolling Hills Park in Carroll, which is also pretty good size hill mm -hmm. if you're not uh, if you're not prepared for hills. And is it pavement or crushed limestone? Yeah, so Sock Rail Trail is all paved. It's it's a concrete trail. Oh, nice. Um, 
and they do a very, very good job mm-hmm. of taking care of that trail. It's it's one of the better trails in the state, I would say. Nice. And how would you describe the cycling culture in that area? I would say it's mostly casual riders. Mm-hmm. Um, you have a lot of people that use sock rail uh, primarily just for you know personal exercise. There's not a lot of people that are out there doing any kind of hardcore training. It's not really like Raccoon River Valley where you see some really, really expensive bikes and some fancy gear. Mm-hmm. Uh, mostly what you're going to see are people that are doing bar hops. Uh, you're going to see people that are just really out enjoying a nice casual ride. And nice. then you got, you know, idiots like me that come flying down the road at 20 some <laughs> miles an hour. <laughs> or skilled. Maybe not. Maybe not idiots. Maybe we can maybe, call you skilled. <laughs> maybe not. Maybe not idiots. I don't know. It depends who you talk to. <laughs> Well, we uh, traded a couple messages before we came on the podcast, and you have been putting in some major miles. I'm not talking like a 10-mile fun ride. I'm talking over 100 miles, probably still fun, but we're recording in April. So to be putting in those sorts of miles is pretty impressive. And so, of course, that's why you're on the podcast. But do you want to get into that? Yeah. So when we talked about off-season in 2020 and taking advantage of the time that we had. Uh, One of the things that I did with my time was really focus on that trainer time, Mm -hmm. which all of you that have trainers know it is a different type of body torture. Mm -hmm. It is not the same as being out on open road. And I do not suggest substituting a trainer for an open road ride if you can do that. Uh, However, with that, as you're grinding away all winter long, all fall, into the spring and waiting for that snow to melt, you really start thinking, what am I capable of now? And this was really the first year that I did substantial off-season training. Mm -hmm. Um, So to me, it was extremely interesting as soon as that snow melted to start getting out and really testing my limits. And what I found is not only do you have the physical and mental benefit of being in a much better physically fit state, Mm -hmm my ability to go now is off the charts. Uh, when I did the 144 mile ride, I was on the road basically eight hours straight and I felt like I could have done another eight hours. Wow. I, I really didn't feel like I was at my limit at all. Wow. And, and I look at the, the data from that ride and I don't understand how that's possible other than to say it did pay off to mm-hmm. spend 2020 doing a lot of time in the garage, in the basement, uh, wherever I needed to be, that it was warm enough to actually ride the trainer. That's where it was. Mm -hmm. And it was an everyday thing. Wow. Much to my, much to my family's, uh, probably, they were probably pretty discouraged with the fact that I would say, no, I can't go because I need to go, you know, do two hours on the trainer real quick. Because there is no quick two hours on a trainer. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I would say, you know, I spent a lot of time on the trainer this past winter as well. And you are right when you say both the physical and mental side of it. Because there were, you know, a Saturday when you're grinding away for three hours and you go through these weird mental states of like, I just, I can't sit here for another hour and a half. I just can't. Well, then you get to the end of your three hours and you're like, what? I can't believe I did that. So you're right. Uh, I have not tried to do 140 miles or even 100 miles yet to know, you know, if it paid off for me. But I'm excited that you have been able to do that. So one of the reasons that I actually got into uh, the trainer time as big as I did this year, um, I'm 
older, you know, but I'm also a college student on the side, uh, having done the time that I did in the military, it gave me the, the great benefit of having some amazing educational opportunities. And I've been trying to capitalize on that. And with that side of things, and I'm also working uh, sometimes in excess of 40 hours a week. Mm. So with all of that going on, I found out that if I wasn't taking care of myself, uh, I was really going downhill fast. Sure. So that's really where the trainer came in was finding that time to get that mental break from work, school, and then have something for me. Mm-hmm. That's where that came in. And then, you know, you start seeing the benefits of weight coming off, uh, general uh, ability to cope with stress mm-hmm. improving. Of course, you know, blood pressure decreases, mm-hmm. all those little things that the doctors say, hey, you should, you know, walk more, run more, bike more. You really see those things happening and it really makes you feel like, you know, this is a wise decision. Mm-hmm. I don't know why why more people aren't focusing more on self-care um, and really, you know, channeling that energy in a way that's positive. Mm-hmm. So have you been into cycling for a long time or how did you go about thinking here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to get on the trainer and that's going to benefit me. So it really started uh, with biking last spring. So it would have been, yeah, right at the start of COVID, uh, we started biking more. Mm -hmm. And then, I mean, I'd, I'd been mountain biking and I'd had a road bike but I wasn't using it as much as I really wanted to because it was mostly me and my wife would go five to 10 miles sock rail. We would either go from uh, Carol Cooler on the west end of town up to the shelter before Brita, or we would just go past Maple River and come back. And that was pretty much our, our thing. That's what we would do. Um, but then that summer with virtual ragbri, it was like, okay, I can make something out of this. I can, I can do the whole ragbri on the trail. And honestly, I've done Lots of day ones of ragbri, but I've never done the whole week okay. of ragbri because mm-hmm. I can never take the time off. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just can't get the whole week off. So virtual ragbri gave me an opportunity to say, I'm going to ride every single mile that ragbri says you're supposed to ride in a week. So I trained up for it a little bit and I did it. To my surprise, by the time I was done, I didn't want to stop. Nice. So I just kept going. And then as it got further and further into the summer, I started thinking, how's this going to end? You know, I know the trail is going to close. I didn't have a trainer yet. Um, and I was a little apprehensive about bringing it up to my wife because, you know, we're, we're a family that's got one in college, another one just about to start college and a youngest that's coming up not too far behind. So we don't like to spend a lot of money. We don't need to. So I was really apprehensive about bringing up, Hey, we need to invest in a trainer Mm -hmm. or trainers so when that conversation actually did come up, it was around, I think, late August, early September, where I said, hey, I, I have a guy who's trying to get rid of a couple on-wheel trainers. He bought an off-wheel trainer. What do you think about getting trainers for the winter? And she was like, actually, I was going to bring that up to you. Oh, nice. So the, the deal was worked out. I went and I picked them up, put them in the garage, set them up side by side. We had a TV in the garage that you could watch while you're riding. That's where it all began with the uh, the off-season training right there. Her saying, yep, let's do it. That's great. And for those listening who, I don't know if they caught it, but an on-wheel trainer is basically, it's your bike that you mm-hmm. put on the trainer. So then you're in kind of the same comfort mode that you will be on when you take your bike outside. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So you're, you're uh, accustoming yourself to the equipment that you're going to ride once you're back on road. It's mm-hmm. not you know, in any way, shape or form, 
I mean, it is a stationary bike, but it's not the same as doing a stationary bike where it's a completely different seat and different handle grips and all that stuff. It's you're, you're accustoming yourself or getting more accustomed to the bike that you normally ride. Right, right. A quick interruption to give a shout out to Primal Wear. Cycling is their passion and apparel is their craft. So if you are in the market for a New Jersey, bibs, mask, or any cycling apparel, go to primalwear.com and use code PRIMALMURF to get 20% off your purchase. Yes, 20%. Now back to the show. So uh, maybe off the top of your head, maybe not, but do you have any likes or dislikes with long rides? I can probably think of more dislikes in my own mind, but how about for you? Okay. On a long ride, I think my biggest dislike is when you come up on an air pump that's broken. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because if you do a long ride, chances are at some point you're going to have to add a little air to your tire. That definitely is discouraging. I always carry stuff to do an emergency, you know, refill on my own tires with Mm -hmm. uh, CO2 cartridges and stuff like that, but when you stop at a pump and somebody's vandalized it or it just doesn't function right, that that can really drive me crazy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I guess other than that, it would be, uh, of course, wind. Yeah, I really hate it. I really hate a hard headwind. Um, I do deal with them, but I don't uh, choose to ride if I can avoid heavy, heavy headwinds. Dogs on long leashes. Mm. That's an annoyance. Mm-hmm. But I understand, you know, we share the road. We share the trail. Uh, but when you see a family walking and they have a dog on a 20-foot leash and they're on sock rail, you're like, come on, guys. You know there's going to be bikes on here. Right, right. And um, you, you, don't, just, you don't know which way the dog's going to go and, you know, if they're friendly, you don't know. friendly or not yeah, friendly. You, you just never know how a dog's going to react. Yeah. Uh, and I've had my share of dogs chasing me through the countryside. Mm-hmm. I think everybody that's biked gravel has had that happen at least once or twice, mm-hmm. if not countless times. Uh, the other thing is on a long ride on the highway, people that don't share, you know, I've been on the white line with on a road with no shoulder and been so close to a semi that if I would have had my arm not tucked in, I would have lost my elbow. Oh, that's terrifying. So, mm-hmm. yeah. But then again, you know, there, there are ways that you, you deal with stuff like that and being aware of your surroundings and really paying attention to the roads you choose to take mm-hmm. and trying to avoid the ones that you know are going to be more prone to less accommodating drivers. Mm-hmm. And that's part of uh, the problem with a lot of hilly roads, too, is a lot of the hillier roads, you know, especially people hauling grain, they just can't slow down. And I completely understand that. My dad hauls grain. And, you know, when they're coming up on those hills, if they slow down, they're going to have a problem. Mm. So I, I, I get that there's, you know, some some mutual pain in the fact that there's a biker on the side of the road. And they don't want to hit you any more than you don't want to be hit. Right. It, is, it is terrifying when you have them fly by you at 50 miles an hour. And it's close enough that, uh, you know, you can, you can definitely feel um, that wind going by and it's sucking you in and yeah, it's, it's not a good feeling. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And if you're on gravel, then you've got the big dust sto- storm that follows the truck. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And little rocks and everything. Right. Else. Yeah. <laughs> Do you want to talk a little bit about like mental focus on, and maybe, you know, with a hundred mile bike ride, I think I've talked about this before on the podcast, but for me personally, you know, like the first 25 miles are like a, piece of cake you're like oh my gosh it's Mm -hmm. only been this amount of time I'm doing great and then the middle I get a little bit like oh my gosh what am I doing this is crazy (laughs) 
And then the last 25 miles, I'm like, I can do it. I've made it this far. I'm going to do it. So I have like this crazy range of, you know, I've got to really talk myself into that, you know, mile 50 to 75. But do you want to talk a little bit about your strategy or your mental focus? So I, I would agree with you that generally speaking, if I know exactly how far I'm going to go, there are definitely phases mm-hmm. and, and it's about thirds. It's about the first third is easy. That middle third is hard. And that last third gets easier again. And then depending on how many miles you're going and how many times you've done that mileage, that may stretch. It may be more like a quarter and then a half that's low. Oh, gosh, this is really painful. And mm-hmm. then a quarter that's, that's good again. But you definitely experience that peaks and valleys as you're riding mm-hmm. uh, that you really have to focus on the goal and whatever your end state is. And for me, a lot of that comes back to the background that I have and always trying to look for that end state and that, that positive outcome mm-hmm. and trying to focus on what I'm going to get at the end of this ride. And it's usually just some Strava data that I can look at and say, Ooh, look what I did. <laughs> That's about <laughs> it. But, Cause I'm almost, almost always alone. Uh, very seldom do I have somebody that's willing to go the distances that I want to go when I want to go them. Mm-hmm. And that's also a product of the hours that I work. I just don't necessarily have the same time off that most people have. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it works for me that I can be alone and I do have a background of riding that way um, and doing other physical things alone that it, it doesn't really bother me if I don't have somebody else with me, but it's always nice to have a riding buddy, especially in Iowa where the culture of cycling in groups is pretty all right. Yeah. I think we, uh, I think we do a pretty good job. I think we have it figured out. Yeah, I agree. And speaking of riding in groups, I wanted to, you you know, you briefly touched on, uh, you've been on RAGBRAI a time or two. Um, Mm -hmm. Do you want to like maybe touch on a little bit of your RAGBRAI experience? Um, I, I know you mentioned you don't always go the whole week or maybe you haven't ever gone the whole week, but, Mm-hmm. A little bit about that. A quick interruption to tell you this week's podcast is sponsored by Lizard Lips Lip Balm. These great lip balms contain natural ingredients, come in a variety of flavors, and you can choose certified organic or balms with sun protection. Check it out at lizardlips.net. Now back to the show. So the very first ragbra that I remember having anything to do with was way back in the early 80s, and it passed relatively close to the farm that we were living on. And I remember uh, my parents saying, Hey, do you want to go watch the bike riders go past? And I had no idea. I was really little. I think maybe, maybe five or six. I mean, it was like first grade kindergarten, mm. that, that time frame. And so we went, we watched the riders pass at an intersection and it kind of just captured uh, some fascination with me. And I always, after that experience, had a bike, uh, always had a bike, always wanted to take it places, do things with it, did the typical kid stuff where I rode to my friend's house all the time. Mm-hmm. And some of my friends were a lot further away than most people's. And um, that's again, a product of rural Iowa and it was almost always gravel roads. Um, and it was just skinny tire, 10 speeds and BMX bikes. And yeah, you name it, we were riding it on, <laughs> on gravel roads as kids and skinning up knees and, you know, splitting lips and all all the fun things that go with riding on gravel with a bike that's not really made for gravel. Um, And then as I grew up, um, just kind of, I had a mountain bike for years and years, and I would 
not ride it as much as I wanted to. It seemed like there was always a reason that I, I couldn't go or I didn't want to go or there was, there was always something there that, that prevented me until I came back to Iowa. So as soon as I came back to Iowa, things just started falling into place again. So for the uh, plus 20 years that I was in the military all over the world, doing crazy stuff, come back to Iowa, and within the first 12 months of being back in the state, I'm on my my first RAGBRAI that I actually you know, participated in. And I've done it every year since I retired from the military. Oh, I've very done good. It. I've done day one at least every year since. Mm-hmm. And I don't plan on stopping doing that. I was just gonna. I was just gonna say, <laughs> do you have plans for 2021 yet? So 2021, I'll ride the first three days. Those are the days I can get off. So I'll be out there Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. Uh, really looking forward to Monday, specifically and selfishly because of Lytton. We have relatives that live up there. Looking forward to going. It's a great town. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you've been through there already, but it's just mm-hmm. a. It, it's a wonderful small town. I look forward to seeing them put on some great stuff um if those those of you that don't know Lytton, you're in for a surprise for a little town it has a lot going on i'll just put it that way <laughs> and they are super super motivated to have riders come through so that's great i, I will say ragbri is 100 percent up their alley yeah oh that's awesome i'm excited for that um any other bike adventures that you've been on in addition to ragbri so I lived in Europe for a few years, uh, and while I was there, I had an old Mercedes with a huge trunk because I, I once received advice from an old lady who uh, lived in this really big house in Georgia, and the rumor was that she was a, a mafia widow. Oh, jeez. She always said, buy a car with a trunk big enough that you can hide the body. Uh, so <laughs> So I bought I bought a big Mercedes while I was in in Belgium and it had a big big trunk and I could put my bike in the trunk and I could drive. Belgium's a great place, but it is a great place to get to everywhere else in the country. Mm. It's very easy to drive into France, Germany. I went over into the UK, uh, down into Austria, um, did a little time in Hungary. So it was fun being able to throw a bike in the trunk and just say, this weekend I'm going to go wherever Luxembourg, you know whatever country and ride a little bit. Mm-hmm. So that was probably the most adventurous biking that I've done. Um, as far as local adventure, um, probably the gravel roads. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm always looking for a different route and trying to find the one that I think is perfect. Sometimes I, th- I think I've found the one and then I go back to my route planner and I say, nope, there's, there's this little chunk over here that I didn't check out. I really need to go there. And I've gotten myself into trouble that way too, where a road uh, didn't necessarily connect the way it looked like oh, on sure. uh, the map data. And then you're in the middle of a field somewhere. Mm-hmm. But, and I've had that happen in Europe as well. And that's a completely different experience, <laughs> especially when you don't speak the language and you have European farmers yelling at you. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I, um, I have never biked in Europe, but I would just, I, for some reason, I have a feeling that the culture is a little bit different, a little bit more bike friendly there. And I could be wrong, and it could be just from, I don't know, watching movies or seeing on the internet. Well, Belgium is world famous for its cycling culture. There are a lot of people. Uh, when I was there, I had a mountain bike. I didn't have a road bike. And road biking is what the majority of them are doing, mm. or fat tire, or not fat tire, but 
kind of a cruiser style fat bike, not like our mountain bike fat bike stuff. Mm -hmm. But Belgium's kind of known for people that really commit to just cycling a lot. Mm -hmm. And there's some really, really, really great races over there. Um, I did not get into the racing, racing culture. I did uh, come across lots and lots of Pelotons over there that were, you know, people that were my age and, and quite a bit older riding in massive groups at incredible speeds. Mm. And it was really, really neat to see. And cars were generally pretty good about giving them the space they needed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and generally in Europe, yeah, I never really had a ride where I felt like I was in danger from other traffic on a roadway. Which is a nice feeling. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Especially when you think about how crowded some of Europe is. Sure. It's like, I, I don't know how they do it better than we do, but it seems like they do. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. So when you think back to training, uh, which you are pretty hardcore into right now, how do you stay focused on a goal? Or maybe, you, you know, is your goal a daily goal? Or do you have like a... I want to do so many miles this month or how do you go about setting goals and staying focused? So my goal started with, I want to burn a thousand calories a day. Oh, I want to nice. do a, a thousand calories of exercise every day. And as that became easier and easier, it, it morphed into, I want to spend a set amount of time less worried, less worry about the calorie and more worried about the actual timeline. Mm-hmm. Um, and now with the conditions improving to the point where you can get back on open roads other than, you know, this week we had snow again this week, Mm. which is crazy. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But anyways, now that, that focus is more geared towards, um, it's, I I can just say it's, it's shifted a lot. Now Uh, I focus less on a set amount of time and less amount, less on a set amount of calories. Mm Mm-hmm. Is it more, more like a, on, like by feel, like just what feels good? Yeah, it's it's more on. I want to get to the point where my legs are telling me I have to stop. Oh, okay. Because I know that's the feeling that I need to have when mm-hmm. I'm riding up and down hills. Mm-hmm. I need to be able to get to that point and know I can go a little bit farther. Mm-hmm. And it's I always uh, enjoy thinking. Um, of course, you know, looking at Strava is one way, but just to think like, okay, like four months ago there's no way I could have done this hill the way I can do it now. And that's always such a good feeling because you're not competing with a person. It's just against your former self. Yeah. And I would agree with that too. I try not to look too intently at leaderboards or uh, really not even past performances as much as I want to, you know, know that, okay, I know this was a challenge in the past and now mm-hmm. it's not. Yeah. Or I know, I know I used to struggle with this part of this route and now it seems pretty easy. And those are really the kind of goals that I look at. You know, I'm not, I'm not doing any of this for a racing agenda. I'm mm-hmm. not doing any of it for um, any kind of, okay, at the, at the end of this, we're going to do some big, huge, long ride. No, that's, that's not the case. It's just a continual train. Mm-hmm. So, Mm-hmm. Well, when you're not biking, I mean, you mentioned that you full-time job plus family plus uh, college. What, where else can you be found? We're pretty much home people. Mm-hmm. We don't do a heck of a lot of stuff outside the house. Again, going back to the past that I've had, I've 
operated at a very, very high operational tempo for a very, very long time. Mm -hmm. So it's very hard for me to be slow in anything that I do. And I don't mean like, I don't mean like racing fast. I just mean like, I like to have a full uh, plate on my hands Mm -hmm. all the time. Even though I say we're, we're home a lot, there's always things that we're doing. Um, and a lot of that has to do with the training, but there's also, um, social media work, um, working on a podcast with a guy out of Corpus Christi Mm -hmm. that is specifically geared towards the veteran community. Mm -hmm. Um, he is the disgruntled vet It's called disgruntled veteran productions. Uh, he does a great job. He's a a musician. He does a wonderful job making. Uh, instrumentals and writing songs and performing them and talking about his his past in the military he was in my platoon when i was a platoon sergeant um if anybody checks that site out they can hear all about what happened with him it's a crazy story yeah Uh, and what was the name of the uh, podcast again disgruntled veterans productions and that's on facebook it's not on apple or anything like that Mm -hmm. we're not doing all the the sponsorship big money sure crazy stuff we're just keeping it low-key but uh, it's been fun uh, to just have people on there talking about their experiences, both while they were in and since they've gotten out and trying to really help some people connect with issues that they've found they face either in the transition process or a few years after getting out. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things that I found from people that retired the same time I did, we kind of all went on the same path where, you know, you, you get ready to get out of the military and you think, all right, I'm finally going to be done with this crazy life and I can calm down, chill out, take my time, relax. And then you get out and you realize you're not wired that way. Oh, sure. Uh, you have a constant need to be on the go. Mm-hmm. And if you don't find a positive way to channel that need, it's very, very easy that to get funneled into something that's destructive Mm -hmm. quite frankly Uh, that's why in my opinion that's why there are significant rates of alcoholism uh, drug use suicide all that stuff stems from not having a way to channel all of that what i call life inertia Mm. so you've, you've been on a track where you were going a million miles an hour and if you try to hit that wall and stop when you get to the end of your career, it does not work. Sure. And for me, that was, I put on a lot of weight when I retired because it wasn't good enough at five o'clock in the morning and running 10 miles anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, and I wasn't, I wasn't uh, forced to do some of the things that we were forced to do. I didn't have anybody holding me accountable for my own uh, health and wellness and quickly realized that if I didn't start doing that for myself, it was not going to work out. I mean, I went from around uh, 225 pounds when I retired to pushing 300 in no time, mm-hmm. and then realizing, you know, this is this has got to we got to get a hold of this and we got to turn around. Or I'm, I don't know how long I can sustain that gaining, you know, 75 pounds in a matter of less than three years. Sure. Yeah. So it's actually a. Uh, uh... A huge benefit that you found love in bicycling. Oh yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I would definitely, you know, if you're if you're not a cyclist, you're not into cycling. One, I don't know why you're listening to morphology or just go bike, but 
if you're just a casual cyclist, even uh, if there's something else that you enjoy more, that gives you that sense of accomplishment and improves your mental state and just makes you all around a better person, absolutely go for it. Mm-hmm. And what advice would you give somebody who does really enjoy the bicycle? And here we are in April, it's still cold out. What advice would you give them to get that push? Well, it's it's like I said to a friend of mine last year um, when I was getting ready for virtual ragbri, and I asked him if he was doing ragbri that year. He said, well, it's canceled. I said, yeah, I understand that it's canceled. However, they got the virtual thing going on. Well, I've been on the couch. Yeah, I understand you've been on the couch. Yeah, any mile that you log is better than any minute you're going to spend on the couch. Oh, true, true. And then he started riding his bike again. So, oh, good. <laughs> I, I, I guess I guess the advice works for that guy, anyways. But, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's great. Well, any organizations or things that you're passionate about that you want to talk about? Uh, so again, uh, when we talk about veterans and the lifestyle of uh, vets post-military, mm-hmm. Team Red, White, and Blue, great organization, really encouraging that active lifestyle and encouraging um, soldiers that have retired or that have ETS or that have you know otherwise ended their career to just get back into um, some type of physical activity. They're they're very supportive about activities. I think it's Thursday night. Is there Peloton night, I think it is. Mm. But anyways, they do lots of lots of things. They do hikes, they do runs, they do the cycling. They're on Ragbrag again this year. Uh, great organization. If you're a veteran, check them out. If you're not a veteran, hey, you can still check them out. Mm-hmm. But uh, I would say if you are a veteran and you're listening to this, support your local American Legion, support your local VFW. You know, those organizations are there for you mm-hmm. and they're there for your communities. Um, they're I'm a part of a American Legion in a town that has less than 500 people, but it has over 130 members. Oh, that's great. So, I mean, it's, it's something that if you, you support it, it supports you. Um, lots of good things that come out of it. Lots of community support. Uh, we do lots of stuff uh, for the community. And uh, like I said, I, I highly encourage if you have affiliation with the military to get into those organizations and participate. Definitely. And, you know, hopefully people will take your advice and know that any mile on the bicycle is better than a minute on the couch. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Chris, thank you so much for coming on the podcast again and talking to us about off-season training and hopefully your miles and miles of cycling continues. Yeah, if uh, everything goes right, maybe we'll hit 5,000 this year. We'll see how it goes. Awesome. Well, thanks again for being on. All right. Thanks, Murph. Well, listeners, that's it for this week. Thanks for tuning in to listen. And a big thanks to Chris for coming on to share his off-season training tips and focus. He is so right when he says, the more training time you put in, the more capable you're going to be to do things you didn't realize you could. If you're on Facebook, check out his podcast called Disgruntled Veteran Productions. And for more information on Team Red, White, and Blue, go to rwb.org. If you have a topic or the name of a cyclist you find interesting, email me at morphologypodcast at gmail.com. Please visit my Instagram page for daily entertainment and check out the Morphology YouTube page to find videos of some of the places I go with my bike. 
I'll leave you with this quote from the unwritten book of morphology. This quote comes from today's guest, Chris Van Ruckel. Any mile you log is going to be better than any minute you are going to spend on the couch. Think about it. Thank you.